Great, great day to be together, and um, we're going to jump into Daniel chapter 5 today. Daniel chapter 5 is where we're going to be. I want to talk about the God who is over all kings. He is the God over kings. Everybody say it with me. God over kings. And um, what, what I'd like to do today is to lead us to a place where we would really come to a place in our own lives and our own hearts where we can walk and live in the boldness of God. Who here wants to be bold in the ways of Jesus? A few here. We'll get the rest of you by the end of the service. I do. I, I, I want to live bold in the ways of Jesus. I don't want to be ashamed of God. I don't want to be the type of person that is, is quiet because I'm afraid of what people will say or what they think or how they might ruin my reputation or any number of other things. I want to be who God has made me to be and to be that unashamedly in the world that I live in. Does anybody else want that? And if you want that, you have to absolutely recognize that our God is the God over all. That when you are confronted with people that come against you, you can look at those people, you can look at that situation and just simply go, oh yeah, do what you want, but I know in who I believe. And that because I know in who I believe, I won't back down, I won't be ashamed, I won't step back. No, I will be who he's called me to be because I know that I know that I know that God is with me. And so let's talk about this because in chapter 5 of Daniel, we, we see the power of God at work in a simple yet extraordinary way showing who he really is. We're going to start right at the beginning, and it says the following. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. That is one big party. Has anybody been to, to, to a thousand-person party before? I mean, that's a pretty big party. So he throws this party. And, um, and, and, and before I even go on, let, let, let me just make this clear. Daniel was around with the king before him, which was King Nebuchadnezzar. And then now it's a different king. And then Daniel will remain after this king with uh, other kings as well that come after. And so Daniel, in the midst of changing kings and changing kingdoms, Daniel's the guy who is solid. Daniel's the guy who remains faithful to God and his ways, no matter the things that are changing around him. How many want to be like Daniel? And it says this, while Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from where? The temple in Jerusalem. Now, now, this is important because while Nebuchadnezzar had taken these cups 
the gold and silver cups from the temple in Jerusalem, all that we know that Nebuchadnezzar probably did was he brought them and stored them away somewhere, just kind of as, as, as the gold and the silver that he looted from the temple when he essentially conquered Israel. And so he does that, and he brings them over and just probably has them in storage somewhere like he would have done with most any of the nations that he would have gotten loot from because he would have defeated them. But in this case, Belshazzar, it says this, he wanted to drink from them. Somebody say with me, drink from them. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple. And I love how it said, taken from the temple, the house of God. The gold cups, the silver cups that were taken from where? The house of God. Not, not just the temple, but the place where God's presence would dwell. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from that. Before I go on to any other verse, I, I, I want to tell you two things that Belshazzar does that is absolutely wrong and obviously evil in, in, in what he did. And, and I want you to understand something, because a lot of people in today's world, when they talk about Christianity, they talk about Christianity being love your neighbor as yourself. Now, does anybody in the room believe that? Yeah, I hope so. Jesus said it. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we, we should absolutely do that. Um, but the first commandment that Jesus made clear of was not love your neighbor as yourself. It was love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Anybody remember that one? And, and a lot of people misunderstand and think, well, loving God is just loving others. No. I mean, loving others is a part of loving God, but loving God is so much bigger than that. Belshazzar is hurting nobody by drinking from these cups. He's not hurting his nobles or his wives or his concubines. He's not mistreating other people, but what he is doing is an affront to God himself. And there are sins that are directly related to what one does with God and God alone. This is even why, why, why David recognized in his failure with Bathsheba, he recognizes and says, I have sinned against God. He, he just recognizes the depth of how wrong he was in the eyes of God and how he lacked respect for God. So the first thing that Belshazzar does that is so wrong here is he takes that which is holy, that which is sacred, and he uses it for common purposes. He takes that which is sacred, somebody say it with me, sacred, and he uses it for that which is what? Common. Everybody say common. This is a bad thing to do. I mean, horribly bad. In fact, if you want Maybe the, the modern day equivalent of this, it would not be like, you know, the table I'm using to preach off of or, or the keyboard, but please don't ruin the keyboard because it costs money, right? Um, it, it wouldn't be the chairs, nothing in the room, no thing in the room. But 
We're going to be participating in communion in a few minutes, so this will actually make some sense to everybody. When, when Paul talks about taking and receiving or participating in communion in a reverent manner, in a way that is respectful and honoring, Paul is actually talking about something very specific. I'm not reading it. I'm paraphrasing it. But Paul references how when the church would get together, they would always have food. I love church with food, right? And so in those times, they always had food. They would get together. They would eat together. And while they were eating together, just like the Last Supper, when Jesus grabbed the bread and grabbed the cup, they would have a moment during the meal where they would take the bread and they would recognize the sacrifice of Jesus and his body and then they would take the cup and the wine and they would recognize the blood of Jesus. Am I making sense to everybody? And it was part of a meal, okay? So Paul gets on the case of the church because what they were doing is that some of them showed up to church on time and some of them showed up to church late. Should I start pointing people? No, I'm kidding. I'm, ki I'm kidding. In fact, Paul does not get mad at the people that showed up late, just so you know. He gets mad at the ones that showed up on time. You're like, why? Because the ones that showed up on time ended up eating all the food and drinking all the wine before the other ones got there. And some of them drank so much wine, they got drunk in the process. And Paul is saying, you are mistreating, okay, again, I'm paraphrasing, but you are mistreating that which is, my word, sacred. And what is sacred? The body of Christ. Now track with me. How many believe the blood and the body of Jesus are sacred? But see, in the New Testament... After Jesus' death and resurrection, what is Paul making clear? The body of Christ is no longer his physical body and his physical blood. The body of Christ is us. It's the church. Is everybody with me? And he's saying you are mistreating that which is sacred, which is the body of Christ or the believers. And so... This is what is sacred today, right? The body of Christ is a body that is sacred, is holy before God. The bride of Jesus Christ is holy, and that is what is sacred to us. It's not the things as it would have been in the days of the temple, but it doesn't matter. Let me be clear. That which is sacred needs to be respected and honored by us as God's people. Is anybody with me? So today, that's the body. That's us, the people of God. But in the Old Testament, it was the cups and the other items that would have been in the temple. And so he takes that which is sacred and he uses it for a common purpose. Mistake number one. Mistake number two is found in verse four. It says, while they drank from them, they praised God for what? No, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So they're drinking from silver and gold cups while praising idols that are the idols of gold and silver and wood and stone and all these things that cannot hear anything, that cannot talk, that have no life. 
And instead of honoring the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, they are honoring a dead idol. And this is a massive affront to God, that which this king is doing. And so, in verse 5, it says the following. Suddenly, they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. The king shouted for the enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal, royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Does that sound like a good gig to anybody here? But when all the king's wise men had come in, none of them, somebody say none of them, none of them could read the writing or tell them what it meant. So the king grew even more alarmed, and his face turned pale. His nobles, too, were shaken. But when the queen mother heard what was happening, she hurried to the banquet hall. She said to Belshazzar, Long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. There is a man in your kingdom. Anybody know the name of this man? Daniel. There is a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. Now, she's a little bit off. It's the spirit of the one and only living God. And she says, during Nebuchadnezzar's reign... This man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. Does anybody here want to be known as a person of insight, understanding, and wisdom? Your pre predecessor, the king, your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 11, the second part if we could, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers, of Babylon. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult math problems. Okay, I added math into there. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought in before the king. The king asked them, are you Daniel, one of the exiles brought from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? Now, I'm going to stop right here and just say something. What I want you to realize is Daniel was high up in the kingdom of King Nebuchadnezzar, correct? Yes or no? Yeah, totally. Yet when it comes to King Belshazzar, he has no idea who Daniel is. Somehow, when the transition of kings was made, Daniel got lost. But can I just tell you right now that what I love about Daniel is it doesn't matter if he's high up with kings or down low, Daniel remains faithful to Jesus. Whether he's seen or whether he's hidden, 
he remains faithful to Jesus. And he just keeps on doing what he's got to do. And he allows the Lord to move him into position for the timing and the purposes of God in his life. And this is so important. He's a nobody at this point. There's some reputation there. Fortunately, the mother of this king can can say, because she remembers who Daniel is, and so there's a perfect moment. You know, in today's world, and in past and previous worlds, it really is kind of who you know, right? Like, the queen mom is like, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy. And so the king says this to him, I have heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you are filled with insight understanding and wisdom my wise men and enchanters have tried to read the words on the wall and tell me their meaning but they cannot do it now what you need to understand right now is Daniel is in the middle of a job interview and this is an important job interview right this is to be the third highest person in the entire kingdom if he gets this right he will get glory, he will get honor, he will get riches, he will be the man, all right? So this is a pretty important job interview. Would anybody like to have an interview like this? Some of you are like, yes. Yeah. Some of you are like, no, thank you. I'm fine being one of the peasants, no problem, you know? But this is really important because in Daniel's life, remember, once again, he was high up with King Nebuchadnezzar, and now he's down low, and now he has an opportunity to what? Go right back up to the top once again. Is anybody with me? You understand what I'm saying? And most people would die for an opportunity like this. I want you to understand something about Daniel here. I want you to understand something about God here. God and Daniel, and this is so absolutely important, my friend. So important. Because he's about to get restored to that which he had before. But here's what I've realized in life. That the one who actually opens the doors is God. And the one who actually closes the doors, also God. And so you are much better just simply trusting him and walking with him and let him decide on the doors that need to be opened and closed. I don't need to decide that. Let him decide that. I am told that you can give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read these words and tell me their meaning, watch, job interview, you'll be clothed in purple robes of royal honor. And right now I'd be saying, hallelujah, God has given me the gift of interpretation of dreams. Like, I know how to do this. Score, I am right about to enter into a great opportunity. And you will have a gold chain placed around your neck. Can anybody say amen to that one? Not only that, you'll become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Daniel, if, if he's like a typical person, is going, hallelujah, Jesus, I am ready. Verse 18, Daniel's response. Oh, no, go to verse 17. Sorry, you were ahead. Of, you were like on it faster than me. Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts or give them 
to someone else. King, I do not want what you are offering. Okay, I, I'm sorry. You don't do that at a job interview. You don't go, so, hey, by the way, uh, if you get hired to this position, we'll be paying you 200 grand a year. Um, you'll work from wherever you want, and you'll be in all of our promotion, and everybody will know who you are. Keep your gifts to yourself. I don't want them. Fired. You know, like before you even started. Or in this case of the king, killed. Why is this so important to understand? Because what you see in Daniel is a man who knows who he belongs to. He doesn't belong to the king. He's not there to make friends with the king. Oh, oh, he will use his influence if God gives it to him, but he is not attempting to gain influence for himself. He understands that his role is to simply be who God has called him to be and to live that out both privately and what? Publicly. And then to trust God to place him where God wants him. And, and I love his attitude because Daniel's kind of like, I'm going to put all the obstacles in the way so that way if I end up in this position, it's really God and it was never me. And that is so important. Give your gifts to someone else. But he says, I will tell you what the writing means. Meaning, I, I, I don't care about what you're offering me, but I will tell you what it means. And here's what he says. Your majesty, the most high God, verse 18, if we could, gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, he made him so great that people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. Nebuchadnezzar, before Belshazzar, was a powerful king. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with, what does it say right there? Arrogance. He was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. Let me be clear on something real, real clear today. God's glory does manifest in the lives of his people, absolutely. But no human on this earth should ever attempt to take the glory that is reserved for God himself and to use it for themselves. Because not only will that not succeed, God will cause for their own glory to be taken away from them. Because the glory he did have was the glory of being king, right? Over an entire kingdom. And God strips that away from Nebuchadnezzar because he attempted to have more glory than that which was even his to have. See, God doesn't have a problem. Let me put it clearly this way. God doesn't have a problem with kings having glory as kings. God is the one who places kings. Kings have glory. It, it, it is absolutely normal to understand that you will respect a person in a high position. Everybody with me on that? That is a 
Typical thing. There's a level of glory that comes in the world based off of the position you have. You could be a president. You could be a king. You could be a rich person. You could be whatever. And there's a certain level of glory that comes with that. There is no problem with that. Nebuchadnezzar's problem was when he decided to attempt to give himself more glory than the position warranted. And he wanted God's glory for himself. And so God strips him of not only the glory he thought he had, but the glory he actually had as king. God takes it all away. And in verse 21, it says this, he was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal, and he lived among the wild donkeys. If you want to read the story, it's literally the chapter right before this, chapter 4. You can read the story. Nebuchadnezzar becomes an animal, like an animal, for years. But if you read the very end of chapter 4, the interesting thing is that at the end of those years, living in the fields, living crazy, being out of his mind, God restores, everybody say the word restores, restores King Nebuchadnezzar to his position. And King Nebuchadnezzar ends up now, at that point, giving glory to the one and only God. So watch this. God, God gave Nebuchadnezzar grace and mercy by allowing him to be restored to his position in which he ends up glorifying God. And so this is what Daniel's reminding Belshazzar about, right? At the previous king, remember what happened to him? He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned, until he learned, second part of 21 if we could, that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of this world. The Most High God rules over every kingdom of this world. God is sovereign over all, over every kingdom, over every king, over every ruler there is. There is not a boss, there's not a king, there's not a president, there's not a husband, there's not a wife, there's not a kid, there's not a parent, there's not a single person on this planet that rules higher than Jesus Christ. He rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. Understand this. Does God rule over the United States of America? Absolutely, 100%. He rules over the kingdoms. He is in charge. He is sovereign over every nation, over every country. In verse 22, here's what Daniel says to Belshazzar. You are his successor, O Belshazzar. And you, what does he say? You knew all this. You knew that Nebuchadnezzar was deposed from his throne because of how he dishonored God. You knew that he lived like an animal for years. You knew that God brought him back. And you knew that he ended up giving glory to God. You know all of it. Yet you have not humbled yourself. 
For you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You know what Daniel's kind of saying? He's saying, Nebuchadnezzar didn't even do this. And he is the one who took them from the temple. But you took these sacred objects and you brought them before you and you used them for common purposes. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while worshiping the wrong gods, praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear. If we can change it, that'd be great. Nor know anything at all, but you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. So God has sent this hand to write this message. This is the message that was written. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parsin. This is what these words mean. Mene means what? What did it say again? Numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now go back to verse 25 if you could. Because what, what you'll recognize in verse 25 is that it once again says, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. And if you read the word Mene, the first one, it is repeated two times. Which gives you an idea that there is heavy weight on this first word right here. And what does that word mean? Again, it means numbered. God is saying, listen up, Belshazzar, your days are numbered. And if you didn't get it the first time, they're numbered. You're done. Your kingdom is over. God gave Nebuchadnezzar years. But he's telling this guy, no, I'm not giving you anything. You're done. You're finished. There's no opportunity. And God makes it absolutely clear. So in verse 29, it says this, Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes, the robes he didn't want. A gold chain was hung around his neck, the, neck, the gold he didn't want. And he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And then verse 30, watch this, read it with me. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, what does it say? That very night, God says, you're going to dishonor me. You're going to take that which is sacred and use it for common purposes. You're going to worship other gods of stone that can't hear, that can't listen, that can't talk, instead of the God that made these items sacred. You're going to do that. You're done. And when are you done? Yeah, today. Done. And why am I sharing this with you today? Because I want you to understand that the God that we know and believe in is the God over kings. And there is not a single authority on this planet that can stand up against the Lord. 
And this is why you and I can walk in confidence in our lives. Why you and I can be who God has made us to be. Why you and I can trust God implicitly. Because he is the God who raises kings. And he's the God who lowers kings. He's the God who puts kings in. And he's the God who takes kings out. And it's so interesting because the name Belshazzar literally means Baal, which was kind of the God or the word they would use for God. Baal, protect the king. That is what Belshazzar's name actually means. And God's like, yeah, nice try. You believe that you've got a God protecting you. It's what your name actually means. Now watch who the real God is and what the real God can do. And so my friends, I want to tell you this today, that a coworker who wants to build his kingdom at your expense, understand this, God is sovereign. You got a fellow student, if you're in school, who wants to claim credit for what you did, understand this, God is sovereign. You got an ex-spouse that's going after you to destroy your life, understand this, God is sovereign. You might have the president now or the past or the future ruining the country, understand this, God is sovereign. He is over all things. He is above all things. There is nothing that can stand against the God who we believe in. And so my challenge to you today is start living like it. And I say it with a smile on my face. I say it telling you with hope that because you have a God who is so strong and a God who is so high and a God who is so powerful, why in the world do we need to be afraid of what man can do? Why do we need to live worried about what others might say? No, my friends, be like Daniel. It says this about him in chapter 6, right at the end, verse 28. It says, so Daniel, what word does it say? Prosper. During the reign of Darius, who came right after Belshazzar, and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian, Daniel prospered. Because those who follow the Lord When the economy is good, those who follow the Lord will prosper. When the economy is bad, those who follow the Lord will prosper. When you've got the best boss, you will prosper. And you've, when you've got the worst one, you will also prosper. When the marriage is good, you will prosper. And when the marriage is difficult, you will also prosper. As long as you understand who you belong to, and who he is, the God over kings. This is our God. And what a privilege it is to know him. What a privilege it is to walk with him. What a privilege it is to trust in him. My friends, we don't need to be looking for all the opportunities. God is already the God of opportunities. Look to Jesus, and he will open the doors that need to be opened, and he will close the doors that need to be closed. He will do what he does. And can I just tell you, he's really good at doing what he does. 
He doesn't need any substitutes. He doesn't need our help along the way. He's God. And so would you just trust him to do what he does and live that way? Because the moment that God brings you into the places he brings you, don't lose who you are, whether it be for fear or whether it be for greed and wanting what you might get out of something. Don't lose who you are. Stand strong in who the Lord has made you to be. No matter the consequences or the benefits, whatever might come before you, stand strong in the Lord and continue to prosper in every season and every time. We are the group of people that if we live in deserts, we have a God who will make rivers for us. That is us. So would you start living as if that's who you really are. You know what? God has revealed to us, and he has supernaturally, has shown it in some dreams, that he wants us to build on this property. And it's going to happen. Um, but, but let me be clear, it's gonna cost millions of dollars to build what the Lord would have us build on this property. So we're taking up our first offering right now. Start. No, no, I'm kidding. It's going to take millions of dollars. How in the world are we going to do it? No idea. But I know a God who happens to be the God over kings. And if kings are rich, then imagine what God is. And so I don't watch this. I don't. If somebody were to come up to me and say, I'll give you X amount of money if you lose your integrity on this issue, <laughs> no. Because I'm not desperate for money, I'm desperate for Jesus. And as long as I got Jesus, we will get everything we need to get because he is faithful to his word. He will do that which he has said he will do. And if he's the one who gave us a vision to have more buildings on this property, then as we say, <laughs> If it's God's will, it's God's bill, right? If it's his vision, he gives the provision. This is the God that we believe in. And so I don't have to be concerned with all of those things. I need to just get concerned with following Jesus and loving Jesus and walking with Jesus. And then he will take care of the rest. And this, my friends, whether you are high or whether you're low, whether you have power or no power, no matter what position you have or don't have, titles you have or don't have, you, my friend, can live like Daniel in every season of your life. You can be known by a king, and then you can be unknown by a king. You can be accepted one moment, rejected the next moment. You can be in the door one moment and thrown out the same door the next. But in Jesus, you and I can prosper in every moment of our lives. I don't know what Belshazzars you got in your life, but can you just know today that the God you believe in is the God over Belshazzar and every other king and every other power and every other principality, every other ruler, every other thing, God is over it all. Stand up with me today.